Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. a series of messages on 12 principles simply from our theme, Stay Strong. If uh, you haven't been with us uh, uh, since the beginning of the year, let me just remind you very quickly, this is our 65th year. Two pastors in 65 years, we have been standing strong, but our theme is that we must stay strong. We need to be a strong lighthouse in our community. And so let me quickly remind you, they're right there in your notes, of our first principles that we started back in January, and we've gone through. Stay strong principle number one is this. Someone is taking your picture. We took uh, the illustration of Daniel and how that Daniel, even when they had signed the decree that everyone could only give uh, obeisance to the king, Daniel, as he did aforetime, he went to his house, he opened the windows, he prayed, knowing what that punishment would be. Uh, Daniel controlled the controllables, and that was his attitude and his effort, and that is possible for every one of us to control those controllables. Daniel, he respected that non-perfect authority, but he had a greater respect to the highest authority, and that was God. And he was not afraid to have his picture taken, even though he knew the world was watching. We looked at Stay Strong principle number two, and that is this. Someone needs your encouragement. Oh, so often we're focused like a laser on the mistakes of other people rather than trying to celebrate their successes. And someone needs your encouragement. We looked at the story of Barnabas and Barnabas that he led by example. And he persuasively encouraged those around him, in particular two people. Saul, who was known for killing Christians, and John Mark, who quit on God. And he took both of these men under his wings and helped both of them in their ministry. We looked at stay strong principle number three, and that is your commitments reveal your cause. Uh, we, we can just see what you're committed to, and we can quickly learn what you're all about. We looked at a man by the name of Elisha. Elisha was a farmer, and he was doing his job whether or not anyone noticed. And we must learn from that. We've got to be passionate in the purpose that God has given us. And we should avoid embarrassing, half-hearted efforts when it comes to many of our many of our duties and many of the things that we are interested in life. Stay strong principle number four is this. We looked at we must impose our will. The world is doing a really good job. And in fact, uh, when we preached this message, we talked in great detail about how the world is trying to destroy our families. And either the world's going to impose its will on you or you are going to impose God's will on them. And being on two teams at the same time is not an option. It is not possible. You cannot be on the devil's team and God's team at the same time. And so whose team are you on? Then we looked at a fifth principle. That fifth principle is the voices you listen to impact your choices. And this world is fraught with social media causes and agendas. And and if you listen to those voices, I'm telling you, it's going to impact the direction of your life. And there are 
different kinds of people in our church, those who will not surrender to what God wants you to do, those who will surrender, but the, gra- the vast majority of us are people who we want to be surrendered, but man, it's a struggle. And oftentimes we just struggle in our efforts, and so we've got to be careful of what we listen to and make sure that we're spending time in those essentials of reading the Bible and prayer and fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then last week we examined Elijah, and uh, we introduced uh, principle number six, and that is serving never ends. Serving never ends. And we looked at Elijah. He had a wild day on his wild day. He killed all the false prophets. He ran the fastest marathon that's ever been uh, uh, ran. He prayed and rain came down from heaven. He prayed and fire came down from heaven. He was amazingly used by God. And then he got this word from some woman that says, hey, I'm going to kill you. Now, wait a second. He had this wild day. He had just killed all the false prophets. He had seen God send fire down from heaven. He had seen rain come down from heaven. And some woman said, I'm going to kill you. And he went from wild to oh, no. And every one of us, we get into that. We can't be too harsh on Elijah. Every one of us, we have oh, no moments. But what's interesting, God never addressed Elijah's oh, no moment. He told him to get back get back to work, and gave him assignments. And God does the same thing to us. Sometimes when we get in the valley that Scott and Sherry were just singing about, man, God's still the same God in the mountain as he is in the valley. Get back to it if you're down in that valley. God wants you to serve him. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians, of course, you know, I, in 14 years, I've said it a dozen or more times. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I love the book of Philippians. And so we're going to preach a, a, a message this morning from the book of Philippians chapter number 2. We're going to do a responsive reading. We'll read the first eight verses of chapter 2. I'll read the odd verses. You help me by reading the even verses. You got it? Here we go. Verse number 1. If there, therefore, uh, be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies... Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And Father, in the next few moments, would your Holy Spirit have freedom to work? Would each one of us be willing to open our hearts? And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would encourage, correct, uplift. Um, Father, rebuke where that's needed. Father, may we, at the end of this message, be a, a Christian that desires to serve and love you. And Father, if there be someone among us who's never asked Jesus to save them and forgive them of their sin, may they be willing with that humble heart to do that today. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning, I'd like to introduce two additional principles on our way to 12 principles uh, that will help us as Tucson Baptist Church to stay strong in this 65th year of ministry. Our seventh principle is found in this text and is simply this. Your personal success is directly tied to the leaders you follow. Your personal success is directly tied to the leaders you follow. Even secular uh, historians agree that Jesus Christ is the greatest example of leadership. And while it is true that Jesus is the perfect example in all areas, there is much that we can implement from his example of leadership. With each one of these principles, I've introduced a Bible character that illustrates the principle. This morning's Bible character is none other than Jesus. And Jesus illustrates this principle. Here's what I see. Jesus, he asked great questions. He was a great listener, and he developed great learners. Jesus, he asked great questions. He was a great listener, and he developed great learners. Do you know that the New Testament records Jesus asking nearly 100 questions? Now, interestingly, he already knew the answers to all those questions he asked. Why did he ask so many questions? Well, one particular interaction grabs my attention from the pages of Scripture, and that happened on the road to Emmaus. As the two travelers are discussing the recent events that had just taken place in Jerusalem, Jesus responds in Luke chapter 24, and he asks a question. What things? Now, wait a second. Jesus was just in Jerusalem. Does he not know what things? More amazingly, he patiently listens to the response in Luke chapter uh, uh, 24, verses 20 through 24, even though he already knew the answers. Let's go back to Genesis. Think about this. The first two people that were created, Adam and Eve. Eve had eaten of the fruit. Adam had partaken. The Bible says their eyes were open. And immediately after their eyes were open, they suddenly realized that they were what? That they were naked, naked in their sin, and they were ashamed. And here's what's interesting. God, he comes, he's walking through the Garden of Eden, and he says, Adam, where art thou? Did God not know where Adam is? Really what God can say, Adam, get out from behind those shrubs. I know you're back there. Come on out. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that asking question causes us to acknowledge who we are, where we are. And, um, and so God and Jesus teaches us the value of asking questions. And great questions are truly important. Uh, uh, listening empowers learning and developing learners is what distinguishes a successful leader like Jesus from many of the wicked, tyrant kings that we read about in Scripture. Do you know what I find? That we are interesting when we are interested in other people. We're interesting when we are interested in other people. Some people believe that listening skills are only necessary to accommodate this generation, but that is not true. Uh, the leaders have inspired learners in every generation, and no idea is a great idea until it becomes their idea. Here's, here's what I love about the Bible. Jesus and 
you think about Paul and other disciples, they inspired many to tell others about Christ. So the idea of sharing the gospel became real as people used their own ideas and implemented that to share the gospel. Do you know somewhere along the way someone thought that running buses would be a good idea to reach people? It's, it's not in the New Testament. Somewhere, someone had a good idea that, you know what, if we put the gospel message on a door hanger and we were to put it on people's doors, that's another way to get the gospel out. Somewhere, someone thought, do you know if I print a gospel tract, I put it in my pocket and I give it to my server or I give it out to my coworker, someone thought that was a good idea. Here's what I love is that the, the gospel is essential to our life and there's lots of different ways to get it out. Own your idea. Help us get the gospel message out. And a Christian who implements his own idea owns that idea forever. And there's lots of different ways in our own congregation this morning of how people get the gospel message out. Jesus, he had the correct mindset in becoming a great leader. Jesus had a correct mindset in becoming a great leader. I wonder, if you could tomorrow, of anyone past or present, if you could say, I would love to have lunch with maybe Warren Buffett, Michael Jordan, Ronald Reagan, anybody in history, George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or Albert uh, Einstein, or maybe um, you could say, I'd love to have lunch with Moses. If you could have lunch with anyone, I wonder what that lunch would be like. I tend to wonder what was going on uh, through these people's mind at their most pivotal point in life. I don't know what was going through Michael Jordan's mind when he hit the game-winning jumper over Byron Russell to win his sixth NBA uh, championship in 1998, or in Ronald Reagan's mind when he said those famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. On June the 12th of 1987, I don't know what was going on in their mind, but I do know this, that there was a great leader in Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, in our text passage, it gives us incredibly an incredible clear insight to the mindset of Christ, who was the greatest leader who's ever walked this earth. Here's what the Bible says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the right mindset is to be like-minded, to be like-minded of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one cord, one mind. And in just in case we were unclear on this, this of the meaning of this word, like-minded, Paul clarifies with a phrase, having the same love. In the event that we're still unclear, Paul clarifies it again with this phrase, being of one accord. And for a third time, Paul even clarifies it, he says, with this phrase, of one mind. We're to be like-minded. Church family, we may have some different methods for reaching the world, but we're to be like-minded in this, is that we're to reach the world. And there can be no division on that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, Pentecost is approaching. The disciples have imitated what they learned from the leadership of Jesus when the Bible says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 5 says, The fool foldeth his hands and eateth his own flesh. 
Contrast that with just a few verses later in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 where the Bible uh, teaches us that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Bible teaches this, that team and organization and church leaders who inspire one another are like-minded. They have the same love. They have one mind and they have a potential to help others reach a new level of success. The correct mindset also is to be lowly in our mind. Not only to be like-minded, but to be have lowliness of mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but the Bible says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Again, Paul clarifies that in verses 6 through 8, and we read through that, and, and he gives us a very clear insight to what it was to be Jesus Christ who who in the loneliness, in the loneliness, he made himself of no reputation. What an incredible testimony we have recorded on the pages of Scripture. Truly, success comes from the good hand of God. There's a story back in the book of Daniel. In fact, since January, I've referred to Daniel, the book of Daniel, several times. But there's two verses that are, that are amazing. Look at this in Daniel chapter number 4. The king spake, and he said, now listen to how he said this. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Here's the king. The king's looking out over his vast, his vast kingdom. And he says, look at what I have done. I want you to notice what the God of heaven said in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. In other words, right this very moment, uh, God reminded Nebuchadnezzar that all success came from the good hand of God and by relegating him to eat the grass of the field. Can you imagine eating the grass of the field like an oxen and you had this vast, vast uh, kingdom? I think it might be wise for us to endeavor to avoid making that same mistake. Whenever we lift ourselves up and say, look what I have done, we are setting ourselves up for complete collapse and failure. It's by the mercies of God we're renewed each day. Hall of Fame coach Bill Parcells, he says that the largest threat to any organization is division from within, not from without. Church, in order for us to stay strong, we must work together in lowliness of mind and be like-minded like Christ. If we're not willing to do that, we will practice what Proverbs 13 and verse 10 states, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Uh, the Bible says that only by pride comes contention. And any group experiences success, we must realize we have a 65-year track record and we praise the Lord. Oh, there's been some mountaintops. I can't imagine. Can you imagine? Some of you would remember this, but I wasn't here. In 1979, there were 2,000 people in this auditorium. I don't know where they sat everyone. They had, they, we had pews back then, so they had to be sitting on top of each other, have 2,000 people in this auditorium. And by the way, some of you that were from yesteryear remember this. There were three ladies' toilets and one man's toilet for 2,000 people. And so some people arrived late for church every Sunday. 2,000 people. Oh, that's a mountaintop. Oh, there's been some lows. 
We don't want to highlight too many of those, but in a 65-year history, there's been some mountaintops and there's been some valleys. But here's what I know, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. My friend, we must always give credit to whom credit is due. And it is by the good hand of God Almighty that Tucson Baptist Church is still here today. Church, may we stay strong. Because we're like-minded and we operate in a lowliness of mind. All successes and failures, they come from the good hand of God. And they're not a result of our athleticism. They're not a result of our intelligence. Thank God for successes. And may all of us move forward with a humble heart. Someone has aptly said this, showing how is better than knowing how. And may we take our brothers and sisters in Christ who are new in the faith and show them how they can reach this world. Show them how they can be great parents. Show them how they can have a strong family. Show them how they can have have a ministry here. Jesus, he clearly demonstrated this by washing the disciples' feet. The story is told in John chapter 13 and verse number 5. And after this, he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. My friend, let me just remind you that pavement and concrete had not yet been invented. And so all the, wherever the animals walked, that's where humans walked. There were no cars and vehicles to get into. Shoes had not been invented. Either people went barefoot or they wore sandals. And the God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, he put a towel on. He got a basin of water. And I just wonder who was the last of those 12 disciples that had their feet washed in that dirty water by then. It was feet were dirty. They were filthy. But Jesus demonstrated in lowliness of mind what it meant to serve others. There were many, many years ago, there was a grandparent who said to her grandson's coach, I feel like your players would run through a wall for you. The coach's immediate response to the grandparent was, I hope my players realize that I would run through a wall for them. My friend Jesus is willing to run through a wall for you. And sometimes we try to do so many things by ourselves. Is your joy found in the successes of other church members and your family and your co-workers uh, or your teammates? Have you responded in a victory in which you did not play or did not even play well? Jesus showed us how servant leadership elevates others and individual recognition becomes important only in the absence of team accomplishments. My friend, Tucson Baptist Church is a team and we've got to work together as a team and it, individual accomplishments is not what we're after. Now, I, I've been waiting uh, when preparing this is that you all know I love Duke, even though they're not having a great year this year. I do love Duke. Um, Coach K, he's retired. I've read many of his books on leadership. Well, I've read every book that he's written about leadership. He, was, he is a great leader. He said this, talent is important, but the single most important ingredient after talent is internal leadership. It's not the coaches as much as one single person or persons on the team who sets higher standards than the team would normally set for itself. Leadership is not singular. On a great team, it is plural. I was thinking about that this week after reading that quote. Think about our church. Think about all the leaders in our growth groups. Those teachers who prepare and study God's Word and bring a spiritual meal to you on Sunday morning. Think about the leaders in our ministry when it comes to Project 520. And yesterday I'm told that some 425 cars were helped as they went through and got a box of food. 
Think about the leaders when it comes to areas in our missions. And think about leaders when it comes to areas in our security. And think about the leaders. I am so thankful that we have a lot of leaders here at Tucson Baptist Church. There's many people who are involved in serving here. And you know what makes our team great? Is the fact, plurally, that there's many people willing to step up and serve. May I ask you, who's a leader in your life? You're known by those who you follow. You just cannot go wrong with following Jesus, the greatest leader. And that takes us to our next Stay Strong principle. And that's where the message title comes from. Stay Strong principle number eight. Focus on the noise, game over. Focus on the noise, game over. Pastor Howard has illustrated this principle to me several times over a 14-year working period. He'll take out a piece of white paper, and he'll put it down on my desk, and he'll put a dot on that paper, and there's been some stress or strain in ministry, and he'll take this white piece of paper, and he'll say, Pastor, what do you see on this piece of paper? And I'll say, I see the, I see the dot. He goes... But pastor, look at all the other white space. That's all the great things going on in our church. That's all the great successes. That's all the wonderful things in your life. Why do you focus on just the dot? Focus on the noise, game over. When there's distress and distraction in our ministry, Pastor Howard's been a great help to remind me there's a lot of good things that's made us stand strong. There's a lot of good things that's going to help us stay strong. Sometimes we have to get our focus off the dot, off the trial, off the failure, off the problem, and focus on the rest of the paper. There's an interesting story that takes place in Luke chapter 12. Let me read for you these verses. And Jesus spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down the barns, and I'm going to build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my souls. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. Verse number 20 of Luke chapter 12, there's a damning verse. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, when then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. This story in Luke chapter 12 happens sadly every day. Sadly, this scenario is played out every day in the life of a Christian. The world is screaming through television and the internet and music and apps and social media and peer pressure. The world is screaming that the key to happiness comes through a life of ease and materialism and fulfilling our selfish desires. Just tear down your barns, build back bigger, party, partake, enjoy the noise. Here's what I find is that in the process of that philosophy, families are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed. 
But I'm here to tell you that if you'll ignore the noise, you can be phenomenally successful in your Christian life. Imagine with me, we've all been to a basketball game. There's one or two seconds left in the game. A foul has been called and you're standing at the free throw line. And there are fans under the basket from the opposing team. There's hundreds of fans. If you're in college, perhaps thousands of fans. And the fans on your side, they're hushed, quiet, allowing you to concentrate on that most important free throw to help win the game. But on the other hand, there's thousands, hundreds, who are screaming and waving their arms and waving uh, those noodles, and they're trying to do everything they can to distract you. Your team will win the game if you just ignore the noise and make the free throw. But how can you accomplish this? How can I make the free throw, or better yet, how can I eliminate the noise of the screaming world? And how can I, according to what the Bible says, be rich toward God? Three quick thoughts this morning about this principle. Here's thought number one. Be great at preparation. Be great at preparation. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and verse number 1, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And it seems obvious, but a person who practices the largest number of correctly shot free throws has a much higher percentage of success. Do you know the more you're in your Bible, the more and higher the percentage that you'll be successful in living the Christian life? The more that you're on your knees or you have your times of prayer, the higher percentage that you're going to be successful in life. It is often alarming when someone has a medical emergency and they haven't been in church in months and suddenly want, they want the pastor to come and visit them in the hospital. It's amazing to me how there's a crisis within a family between a husband and wife and we sit down and we counsel them and we ask, tell me about the last time you had devotions or you were in the Word of God. And the husband and wife look at each other because they know the answer is, is the husband and wife, uh, neither one has been in the Word of God. A free throw shooter practices to be successful. A Christian practices to be successful. They're in the Word. They're praying. They're involved in church. In Larry Bird's autobiography called Drive, he details his life. He played for the Boston Celtics. He was a ferocious basketball player, a tremendous free throw shooter. And he would get up before school and he would shoot hundreds and hundreds of free throw shots every single morning. Someone that says this, once the game starts, you're out of time to prepare. Once the game starts, you're out of time to prepare. The reality is this, is that it's too late to prepare to meet God and to worship God when you just show up. And that's why we encourage you every Saturday through a phone call, would you pray for the services tomorrow? Would you be prepared? Would you get a good night of rest? Would you be in the Word? Would you come expecting God to do something? Preparation starts before the event, not after the event has, 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 has begun. Now, let me just give you an illustration of this. How many of you have ever taken, and this should, all of us can participate, how many of you have ever taken a test? Okay, that's a dumb question, Pastor Armstrong. Okay, how many of you have ever taken a test and you really worked hard and were prepared for the test? 
oh, the numbers went down a little bit. Mm. <laughs> Don't know what that means. How many of you have you've taken a test and you did not study for it? A lot of honest people here. The reality is, is that the person who prepares has a much greater opportunity to succeed on the test if they study and prepare for it at least the day or week before. Let me give you an illustration. I did my best when I was in college. I worked 40 hours a week. I had a double major education, Bible major at Bob Jones University. So I, I could not finish in four years. It was a four and a half year program. I doubled up. I took uh, 20 to 21 hours a semester and worked 40 hours a week to try to put myself through school because I did not want to go an extra semester. I came up two classes short. So in 1987, I was allowed to graduate, uh, uh, but I wouldn't get my diploma until I had finished those last two classes. Well, in 1987, there was no such thing as online school, so you had to actually go. So one of the classes they allowed me to take through my uh, local church um, uh, because it was a ministry class, but the, uh, the last class I had to take was a history minor on the Civil War. And so um, uh, we had moved from uh, the San Francisco when I was in the business world. We moved back to Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was a perfect opportunity to be, for me to go back to Bob Jones and, and, uh, and take that last class. So I did. I, I, I entered uh, in January of that year, I t and I took the Civil War class. Well, um, we had, you know, we went back and forth, studied the Civil War battles and all the things uh, that were associated with the Civil War and the generals and strategies and Abraham Lincoln. And, and, uh, and so it was a good class. But it just so happens that it was May and it was time for the final exam. And in, at Bob Jones University, you had to, you had to show up the, uh, uh, and, uh, for your final exam. And uh, it was the week before, or the week, excuse me, the week of graduation. And it just so happens that um, uh, Shelly decided to give birth to our firstborn the week, that week. And so I had been at the hospital. I was excited. I was a new dad. I also had to take this exam. I also still had to work, and I was also supposed to graduate on Saturday. So my professor allowed me to come in, and the, the, the the exam was proctored. In other words, I went in, sat in the library. The librarian watched me uh, uh, complete the exam. Uh, no books and no notes, just a blank piece of paper. And so I went in. Um, I'd been up all night working. I, I was tired. I had not studied. I was going to just try to, to wing it. And so I went in, and it's all essay. I can't guess. There's not A, B, C, D. Make an educated guess. Every question was an essay question. And I was like, I was, wait, my mom and dad are coming. Shelly's mom and dad are coming. They're coming to see their grandchild. They're coming for graduation. Shelly's supposed to get out of the hospital on Wednesday. Um, and, and I am just, I'm in, I'm in bad shape. I'm going to fail my class. And this is going to be so embarrassing when I have to say I can't march on Saturday. So I didn't know what to do. I said, Lord, would you please help me? So in question number one, I wrote my testimony. Question number two, I wrote about this. Question number three, I wrote about this. I, I did not know. I did not know the answers to the questions. And I just wrote and wrote. I had like four pages of, of answers and did not answer the questions. And I'm so thankful to tell you that that teacher never looked at my exam. I got a B. I got a B. 
I didn't earn that. I, I wasn't prepared. Uh, I winged it, and I got a B, and I graduated, and I marched, and I, I would have miserably failed. I'd have got a zero out of zero based on the answers, but I just wrote and wrote and wrote. It is I do not advise taking an exam that way. In this particular case, it worked, but um, God had favor on me um, uh, that particular day. Anyway, do you know most of the time you're going to fail? I deserve to fail because I was not prepared. And most of the time we fail as Christians because we didn't prepare. We didn't prepare our heart, we didn't prepare our mind. We did not prepare. In other words, we allowed the noise of the world. We allowed the noise of our schedule. We allowed the noise of the distractions to completely take over our life. If you want to be rich in your relationship with God, the people who prepare the best have the highest percentage of success. A person who diligently prepares his heart with some daily Bible reading, with some prayer time with the Lord, is going to have much more success in their desires to be rich toward God than the person who, oh, where's my Bible? It's Sunday morning. I know it's in the back seat here somewhere. And you ruffled through the back seat among your Starbucks cups or your Dutch Bros cups, and you finally found your Bible on the floorboard of your, of your car. And you say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, I'm not. That happened to some people today. You had to look through your car to find your Bible. You're not prepared to receive this message. The church service that has been well prepared for will have a much greater opportunity to be successful. Do you know I'm thankful our choir practices? Can you imagine what they'd sound like if they didn't? Especially on those stops and starts and when the music's supposed to, uh, to play, when the brass is supposed to play, when the strings are supposed to play. I'm thankful that they practice and they prepare. Imagine what it would be like. Oh, imagine what this would have been like. I was invited to a revival service to a Baptist church right here in Tucson. The service started at 7 o'clock. I got there five, seven minutes early. I slid in. I sat down. At five, seven minutes after seven, they still had not started. I believe in valuing people's time. That's why we start on time here, whether you're here or not. They didn't start. The pastor gets up and he says this. He looks over at the pianist. He goes, what song are we singing tonight? She's flipping through. She, says, she calls out a number and uh, there was no preparation. It was obvious there was no preparation. May I just say, be great at preparation, whether it's in your athletics, whether it's in school, whether it's for church, whether it's in your spiritual life, whether it's in your family life. Be great at preparation for your family and your church and your professional life. I want you to notice quickly, secondly, look where you're going and stop turning around. Look where you are going and stop turning around. Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Life is not well driven while looking in the rearview mirror. There's going to be a big race today in Daytona for all of our NASCAR fans called the Daytona 500. In fact, it's like the uh, you're known as a great race car driver in NASCAR if you can ever win the Daytona 500. Do you know what I do know? 
is that any driver that's constantly looking in a rearview mirror, they're going to get past, and that driver is not going to win the race. He's likely to meet his health insurance deductible, but he's not going to win the race. The fact of the matter is, Christian friend, we need to be looking ahead. Last night we were babysitting two of our younger, uh, uh, our youngest granddaughters, the twins, uh, and uh, Emery and Brinley, and, and uh, we were laughing. We were having a good time. We were sitting in the living room, and uh, I mean, you just wouldn't believe how there's something called baby bum, baby bum, that they, they just sing these songs over and over again, and my two uh, granddaughters love those songs, the wheels on the bus go around, and they do the motions for them, and we laugh, and we have a great time. I mean, you'd be embarrassed how your pastor asks, uh, acts when he's around his granddaughters. So last night, we were singing, and we were giggling, we were having a great time, and Emery, she was looking at me, and, and she was looking for approval, and we were doing hand motions, and she was not watching where she went, and ran right into the corner of the coffee table in our living room. And her laughter went from laughter to tears and crying in an instant. Do you know 